0: Appropriately, we are in verse 7 of chapter 3 of this epistle on grace. Really, the book of 1 Peter is about standing firm in grace in the midst of trials. I walked you through verses 1 through 6 in chapter 3, which really are an instruction to women to submit to their husbands. This morning, the command to husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Treat her with honor. As a co heir of the grace of life. And then a warning. If you don't, your prayers will be hindered. They'll be stymied. They'll be brought to a screeching halt. You know a man with a, a powerful prayer life? Believe me when I tell you, if that is truly a man with a powerful prayer life, that is a man who treats his wife well. You know a man who does not have a powerful prayer life? It's just a guess, but I wonder how he treats his wife. It's a reasonable question to ask. Husbands, and I'm speaking to you men and myself, husbands, strive to be understanding of your wives, honoring them, so that your prayers for them will be effective. Effective. If there's anything that men talk about to other men, it's their wives. Many times, it's a litany of complaints. And you want to ask the question do you pray for her as much as you talk about her to other men? Do you subject yourself to the Lord as much as you subject your wife to the scrutiny of other people? Do you pray for her? And then this, are your prayers hindered? Do you find that your prayer life is effective in your wife's life? Talk about that some. You and I are to labor, men. We are to labor, to strive, to work, to be understanding of our wives. It should constantly be on our minds to live with our wives in an understanding way. On Father's Day, where men can feel like today is their day to declare their kingship, rather, let's look at what the true king has to say about who a man should be and what a real man is. In a Greco-Roman era, in a circumstance where it would be difficult to be unequally yoked believers, it would be much more difficult for women. So for men the greater difficulty would be to grow into a man who treats his wife well. Because in that Greco-Roman culture, as I've told you, women were property. When a woman went from the home in which she grew up into her married home, it was simply a matter of change of ownership. Shouldn't have been that way, shouldn't be that way. But in the defense of men, Christian men, in that day who treated their wives poorly, that's what they were trained to think was okay. Women were no better than animals. They were barn occupants who happened to have the privilege to stay in the home. So we, in our culture, want to do all that we can. We, as Christians, who live in a culture where women are derided, and then, on the other hand, you have the feminist movement, which has done far more damage than what we might have imagined. Men, we want to be men who love our wives and love them well and honor them. I want to read to you from John MacArthur's book, Being a Dad Who Leads. It's Father's Day. It's an excellent book, by the way, if you're not sure what to get someone for Father's Day. Um, well, you're, you're way behind, because it is Father's Day. And you won't get this book today if you order it today, but it'd be worth waiting for. John says, Too many men today live in worlds completely isolated from their families. Outside the home, they are aggressive doers and problem solvers who come up with all sorts of innovative ways to make money and obtain promotions, prestige, and respect from the people in their outside world. Yet in the home, for the most part, they are passive, indifferent, and irresponsible. Though they may be present in the home, they are not actively engaged in the everyday dynamics of family life. Another section, John goes on to say, If we're ever going to restore family life to God's design, it starts with the husband's leadership in the home. This means moral and spiritual leadership, as well as emotional and physical security. That's where it all begins. That's what male headship is all about. It doesn't involve some sort of mystical search for one's inner manhood, nor is it something that has to be figured out through psychological or sociological analysis. Rather, it's based on being diligent to apply straightforward and practical principles found in the Bible. If you're a Christian man, surely you recognize that success in your home life is far more important than success in your career. That's especially true when you consider what kind of testimony your home life is to the people in your workplace. Neglect the care of your family, and you'll lose credibility in the outside world when it comes to anything that has to do with the Christian faith. So we want to ask the question, what's your home life look like? And specifically, with regard to our passage this morning, what does your treatment of your wife look like? Point number one, point number one from our text this morning. Think of her with compassion. Think of her always with compassion. It should be your practice as much as is possible to think of her constantly, to always be thinking about your wife. And to be doing so with compassion. Here, Peter says, You husbands, in the same way. The same way. What same way, Peter? Well, as you know, he uses this terminology, the same terminology, the same way earlier in 1 Peter. In chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king, as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So this is the context of submission. And then in verse 18, servants, be submissive. You remember that message, that text that we spent time in a few Sundays ago. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Unreasonable. So not simply choosing to be submissive to a boss that you agree with, but being submissive to your boss with respect for God and submitting to that boss. Chapter 3, then, the chapter we're in, the passage that we looked at last time, in the same way, so you have the same terminology, in the same way, in the same way as those that he has called to submit previously, submit to the workplace employer, submit to the government. Here in verse 1, in the same way you wives submit or be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. The most powerful tool a wife has with an unbelieving husband is her chaste and respectful behavior the absolute most powerful tool she has in the home, driven by the power of the gospel that's produced change in her that she would reflect or symbolize or emulate the perfection of Jesus Christ in her willingness to call out her imperfections herself. She would be willing to address her unlikeness to Christ and therefore let her husband, who is unbelieving, who is disobedient to the word, to see her disobedience and her lament over her lack of obedience. But then back to our text this morning, Peter goes on to say, live with your wives in an understanding way. So what's the connection there then? Well, in the same way, you husbands in the same way, there is a sense in which husbands submit to their wives. There is a submission that we are called as believers one to another in Ephesians 5 all christians are yes to submit to one another you say well that would be confusing that sounds like a multiple-headed monster we're not talking about headship we're talking about a willingness to defer one to another in the things of christ That we would submit one to another especially when it comes to areas of preference that we would be willing to be confronted with our sin that's one of the marks of a christian by the way that we would be willing to hear others in their concern about our conduct for the greater glory of Christ, for the greater edification of the body, for the unity of the body, for the purity of the body, for greater and more effective evangelism that we would have credibility with an outside lost and dying world. But then again, Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Some of this is going to involve being submissive to her recognizing that there are times where she proves to be a lot smarter than you are. I live with that every day, more often than I could possibly tell you. When we're thinking in our home about especially making the big decisions, I lean heavily upon a wise wife who has proven to be wise beyond her years. I'd be a fool not to be willing to submit to her In those moments when she clearly is exhibiting the kind of wisdom that I want to have. That's what a godly marriage should look like on a regular basis. Men will say, no, 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 I'm the head. The Bible says I'm the head. Sarah called Abraham Lord. You should call me Lord. I'm in charge. Don't you understand that? There's no place, there's no command in the scripture for man to ever remind his wife of that. By the way, you should not ask your wife to call you Lord. That won't help. But what you are to do is to express or exhibit the submission that Christ calls her to. How is she going to know how to submit to you if you yourself are not humble enough to submit to her? In the same way as all Christians are called to submit to the government and to submit to their employer, in the same way men should be willing to submit themselves to service to their wives Think of her always with compassion. In Proverbs 5, this is really rich. And you know the Proverbs do this in such a concentrated way. They, they say, uh, Solomon will say something in such few words, but had so much impact. Let your fountain be blessed. And re- rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. How do you do that? Think about her. Choose, strategize, schedule time to be having her on your mind. Whatever it takes. Whatever you need to do to be mindful of your wife. Live with her in an understanding way. The command here is not to understand her. I was counseling a couple one time. The man looked at me very frustrated. I reminded him of this passage. And he said, with fire in his eyes, you don't understand. I can't live with her in an understanding way because I don't understand her. And I said, not what I said. The command is not to understand her. The command is to live with her understandingly. The command is not to figure her out and then know how to live. The command is to live with her with compassion, with sensitivity, with consideration. And there's a phrase coming up that will help you tremendously to remember your need to do this. How do you live with her in an understanding way? I think Peter explains this well, but I want to give some practical efforts at helping you do this, men. I would suggest that you determine that she will be the standard of beauty. That she will be the standard of beauty, not someone that you've seen on the Internet or in a movie or on TV. But that in your mind, everyone else pales in comparison with regard to beauty. You say, Todd, are you talking about inner or outer? Yes. Mesmerized by her. Determine with deep passion and tell someone that there will be no one who will take her place in your life at any given moment, whether in practice or in thought, but that she holds that place of highest affection with regard to all things earthly and men if you're thinking you know you don't know my wife then I want to say to you you don't know your wife you don't know your wife and that's your problem and it's her problem and it's your family's problem because you have chosen not to live with her in an understanding way you have chosen to live with her expecting her to become understandable And today is the day under the powerful Word of God to subject yourself to become a man who chooses to be understanding regardless of whether or not you can understand. Live sensitively. Live with compassion. Recognize that those who are holy and beloved, called of God, chosen of God. This is Colossians 3, verse 12. You who are chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. And perhaps it's been the practice of your life to put on a heart of legalistic expectation. You know, you don't do this very well. You don't do that well enough. My mom, oh, don't do that, guys. Just don't do that. My mom's chicken salad. Kimberly and I have had this discussion. I love my wife's chicken salad. Now, seriously, just for a minute, my wife's only ever cooked two meals that I didn't think were phenomenal, and even those were really good. But what if she weren't the cook that she is? Am I to wait until she becomes the cook that my mom was? Now I get it. No. You're to live with your wife in an understanding way. Why? Because Christ lives with you in an understanding way. And you're not very understandable, nor am I. Determine that she will be the standard of all things for which you have affection. And then this little phrase, and this is what I was referring to earlier, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman... And the Hebrew, the standard word for man, ish, is the derivative of the word for woman, ishah. Out of man. The word woman means out of man. That which is out of man is not as strong as man. In what sense? Is there spiritual inequality? Is there intellectual inequality? inequality? Is there more greatness of one than the other because there are different roles? Is there greater value of one than the other? No. And this mystifies the world when we try to help them understand this. There is utter and complete equality of men and women as proclaimed by Paul in Galatians 3 verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise, the promise of God, of those for whom Christ died, those whom God chose. Uh, they are Abraham's descendants, and that is proven over time by their conduct and their life. And therefore, there is equality for all those who are in Christ. This is not about greater or lesser value, it is about obvious physical strength. To natural reality, men are physically stronger than women. You say, I know a few women who I think are a lot stronger than I am, and I I wouldn't want to meet them in a dark alley. Fine, stay away from those women. But generally speaking, men are naturally stronger than women, and that's what it comes down to. Not intellectually stronger, not spiritually stronger, not even emotionally stronger necessarily. Now, guys, I'm, I'm guessing... I can't know this, but I'm guessing at this moment you might be running all that theology through the grid of your experience. Stop it. Think biblically. Don't refute what you're hearing because of what your perception of your wife and your marriage is. Think biblically and let that be the basis by which you lead your family. Don't argue against what you're hearing because of your experience. Well, that's not how it works in my house. Well, that's not God's Fault. God is still right in what he says in his word. See, this is why we put so much emphasis on the need to have a biblical theology rather than an experiential theology. Let your theology be biblical, let it manifest itself experientially. Think biblically about God, about the church, about sin, about righteousness, about salvation, and let that overflow. The more you think and speak and talk and act biblically, the more people who live legalistically will be befuddled by your conduct. And if that happens to be the necessity in your home, then let it be and trust the Lord for that to get worked out. Women are weaker physically. She's a woman. Have compassion. Recognize that there are things she can't do as easily as you can do because of that lesser physical strength. And remember that you are the head. You are the head. Paul says in Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Men, be the man. Be the man spiritually. Be the man physically. Be the man emotionally. Be the man. Be the head. Be strong. Be humble. Set the tone. Set the pattern. You say, my wife doesn't let me do that. That's not true. That can't possibly be true. She cannot prevent your spiritual maturity. You say, but she provokes me to spiritual immaturity. Okay, that's true, but you provoke her spiritual immaturity. The plan is for you to think rightly, to live with her in an understanding way, to always be thinking about her, for her to always be on your mind, and for you to develop compassion for her, recognizing her physical weakness, but being willing to be the man. How do you do that? How do you do that? Surround yourself with strong, humble men. That's how you do that. That's how it has always worked. It has never worked any other way. It has always worked that way in the context of the church, that men would be humble, that they would think lowly of themselves, highly of God, have a high view of the church, a high view of the Scripture, and that they would be willing to confess their sins to other men and say, please pray for me. Please walk with me through this. And I suggest that many men have maybe tried that and they've been burned. Maybe they confessed their sins to another man and then he talked to another man and, you know, it didn't go well. And so we work hard in our little church to ensure that gossip is thought of as being as evil and wicked as any other sin. And so our efforts are to cultivate strength and humility, men with men, that men would disciple men. If you're not involved in that, no, we can't help you. But if you will be involved in that once, you might walk away and say, well, I tried that once. Which sounds a whole lot like the junior high football player who said, I lifted weights once and it didn't work. Be the man. Know that this is how it works. God has a method. He's got a blueprint. He's got a plan. Surround yourself with strong, humble men. Be involved in discipleship. Think of her always, men, with Compassion, And to do that, you yourself are going to have to be humble and strong. You're going to have to be compassionate. You're going to have to be a man of strength and wisdom. You're going to have to be around other men who are going to help you become that man. Number two, point number two, serve her always with honor. Serve her always with honor. Peter goes on and says, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. What is a fellow heir of the grace of life? What is this grace of life? Well, he's not talking here about eternal life. There's nothing in the context that would lead us to think that. He's simply talking about life, the life shared with his wife. He has this life of marriage to her, and she has this life of marriage to him, and they share it, and it is a gift from God. They are heirs of this married life, beneficiaries, recipients, receivers of the gift, and in that They share this gift together. He is to show her honor. Peter doesn't say wait until she becomes honorable and then show her honor. He says show her honor. Treat her with honor. This necessitates that he himself be a man of honor. Man, I suggest to you that in those moments when you dishonor your wife, the problem is you are dishonorable. It's your problem so much more than it is her problem. A man who regularly dishonors his wife is very likely a man who is inclined to dishonor her before they were married. And if he has not developed into a man of honor, this is no option for him now. Word to the wise, if you're considering marrying a man who regularly dishonors you and other women, consider the hardship this will certainly bring in your marriage. How then does he show her that honor? The command is clear, honor her. How? How does this work? I think we can borrow from Paul the Apostle in Ephesians five, twenty-eight. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. You say, But I thought the Bible reveals that love of self is sinful. It does. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, Paul says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. The point is, difficult times will come through the vehicle of men who love themselves. The man who focuses on loving himself will have little or no time for loving his wife or his children or others. In his love for himself, he will be convinced that he deserves better treatment from them and better conduct in them. If he acknowledges that he naturally loves himself, recognizes that that love of self brings difficult times and actually denies himself, he will have the capacity to love his wife well and honor her well. You've heard it said that you must love yourself before you can love others. This is a heretical twisting of Scripture that has led to the prideful, self-esteem movement of the world being embraced by so many in the pseudo-church. And who sets the standard for us, men? It's Christ. It is Christ who in Ephesians 5.22 is displayed as that example. Paul says, "'Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord.'" For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. In verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. When distressed in prayer, did Jesus say, Oh, how I love me. No. You never see that in him or anyone who displays godliness in the scripture in fact in Matthew 26 verse 38 we read then he said to them my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death remain here and watch with me and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me yet not as I will but as you will men when you are not honoring your wives when you are not loving your wives when you are proving to dishonor her and to be unkind to her, and be impatient with her. You're probably not inclined to say, nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. You're demanding what you want. Jesus said in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Lovers of self will bring difficult times. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, this pastor writer says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Where is this proclamation of self-love in that? No. No. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Some practical helps on this, men. How do we serve her always with honor? Well, let her speak. Let her speak. Don't interrupt her. Ever. You say, you you don't understand. If I don't say it right when I'm thinking it, I'll forget it. Good. (laughs) Do us all a favor. Stop talking. Forget some of the things you feel like you absolutely have to say. And let her talk for a while. And let her finish her thought. And how about this? Give her a moment to get another thought. That would be to honor her. Another way to honor your your wife. Train your children to honor her. No dishonoring of your wife by your children should ever go unaddressed. Ever. Ever. You say, what if they're her children, but not mine? Model a life of honor. Become credible. And then correct them. But train your children to honor her by example. You know, it's probably confusing to your kids when you tell your kids, stop dishonoring her when you yourself dishonor her. Another way that you can serve your wife with honor would be to cultivate love for her. Plead with the Lord to give you a loving spirit for her, but at the same time put it into practice. Do things for her that make a dent in your schedule. Sacrifice for her. Love her practically. You say, How can I prove to my wife that I would die for her? Which, by the way, if you ever actually have that opportunity, it'll be rare and it'll be the last time. Right? Do I have that math right? Okay. On the other hand, you have innumerable opportunities to prove that you would die for her by living for her. Love her in practical ways. Prove it to her. Next, don't be embittered toward her. I can confidently say, men, in every conflict my wife and I have ever had that resulted in my sinning against her, whether it be through bitterness or anger or whatever it may have been, it always started with a root of bitterness in my heart every single time. Now listen to this in Colossians 3 verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So, two of those points can be folded into one, really, according to Paul. If you're really loving your wife practically and emotionally and theologically, you won't be embittered against her. Next, another way that you can serve her with honor strangle all adulterous thoughts strangle them, murder them, execute them, drag them into the light by confessing them to other men not your wife, don't put that burden on her, that will not help your marriage, confess them to other men and strangle them capture every adulterous influence in your life and drown it hold it under until it's dead and gone and do it again and again and again. Proverbs 6 tells us that the man who commits adultery has no sense. He's lost his mind. What's he thinking? Some would say he's not thinking. That's not true. He is thinking. He's thinking about himself. And he's willing to destroy multiple lives for the sake of a momentary pleasure. Number three. Number three, pray for her Christ-likeness. You know this from the passage. Do these things so that your prayers will not be hindered. What things? Well, let's go back. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Well, there's an assumption here that you're going to be a man who is committed to praying for your wife. You say, well, what am I to be praying for for my wife? Well, if she's not a believer, you pray for her salvation. And if you treat her with dishonor, if you do not regard her with honor, if you treat her poorly, your prayers are worthless. They're meaningless. They're not helpful. God will not use the prayers of a man who treats his wife poorly. If your wife is a Christian, then you pray for her sanctification. Either way, you're praying for her spiritual cleansing. You're praying that she would be washed with the water of the word. But you're pleading with the Lord to do this work. And as long as you yourself are not willing to love her, but you're willing to ask him to love her, you're living hypocritically. This is why I said earlier, for you to honor her, you must become honorable yourself. You must subject yourself to honorable men. Don't play game with this, guys. Don't play around with this. Whatever stage of life you're in, there's time for spiritual growth. There's room for spiritual growth. Pray for, but remember that you, if you are unwilling to live with her in an understanding way, and you do not honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, your prayers are hindered. They're ineffective, unused, empty talk. You want her to be sanctified Your life matters. Your conduct matters. Your treatment of her matters. You want her to be sanctified. Your treatment of her matters. Your conduct matters. Your prayer matters, but your prayer doesn't do anything. God won't use your prayer if you're not giving attention to your own life. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the man whose prayer life is used of the Lord. The man whose life is increasingly looking like Christ's love for the church. What did that look like? He died for her. He died for the church. He gave his life up for the church. Listen to this remarkable testimony of David in Psalm 66, being very honest and forthright about his own prayer life. Listen to what David says in Psalm 66, starting with verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God. You know this from Proverbs 1. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is what? It's the fear of God. This is the problem in so many churches today. There is no teaching that leads to fearing God. It's a very unbalanced expression of God's grace. It says he died for everybody, he forgives everybody, there's grace for everybody, just ask for forgiveness and everything will be fine, and there's no call to holiness because there's no fear of God who is a God of wrath. Righteous wrath, righteous anger, he is also a God of mercy and love and kindness and forgiveness, but he is a God of wrath, and you must fear him. So here where David expresses something from his own prayer life, he says, come and hear all who fear God. Starts with that. If you don't fear God, this won't mean anything to you. But all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard wickedness in my heart, Uh, The ESV says, If I cherish iniquity in my heart, he will not hear. Does God somehow become non-omniscient? So he's unable to hear? No. He turns a deaf ear to the prayers of the man who hides his sin. A completely ineffective prayer life. David says, But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his loving kindness from me. David, the man after God's own heart who became a murderer and an adulterer and became repentant, genuinely repentant, not an electric chair confession. But David truly showed repentance And he testified that God heard his prayer and showed his loving kindness for him. James tells us in chapter 5 of his letter, the effective prayer of the righteous man avails much. I don't like the phrase prayer works because it really misses the point. The point is God uses the prayer life of holy people. People who are genuinely faithful to Christ. In James 4, previous chapter, verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Men, what's your motive when you pray for your wife, whether it's for her salvation or her sanctification thereafter? Is it because you want a better life? I suggest that it is many times. I suggest that in all of our lives, many times we pray for things that are good, outcomes, but our motive is wrong. Lord, can't you just make it a little easier on me when I get home from a hard day at work? See, that's a wrong motive. What's a right motive? God's glory. You really want your home to display the glory of Christ, Christ's love for the church, and therefore you work diligently to become a man whose life depicts that. You are becoming increasingly a man who loves his wife as Christ loves church so not only is your prayer life effective your discipleship efforts are effective in John 9 verse 31 we know that God does not hear sinners but if anyone is God fearing and does his will he hears him since it is Father's Day I want to read a letter to you from a young man his father dear dad as I think of my responsibilities and influence as a husband and father I can't help but be greatly impacted by you and how you treated mom and us your example to me affects me in every area of my life every day maybe even my every thought I can't make a decision without asking what would dad do Dad, I thank the Lord for you and how he used you and continues to use you to help me be the man I need to be to serve my family well and to be a faithful member of Christ's church. I'd like to say you were never unkind to mom and that you never yelled, were never unreasonable, and never failed. At times, it seemed you were unreasonable because you were not acting out the Christian conduct you expected from us. It was confusing. You seemed to be two different men. You loved Christ, you loved the church, you loved mom, and you loved us. But you were not always honoring to mom, and you were not always caring with us. But here's what I can say, Dad. You lived with mom in an understanding way, and you did better with that over the years. You hated your sin, and we knew it because you changed. You changed, and, Dad, you changed drastically. Every man has at least one besetting sin, but we saw you change, sometimes a little at a time and others in big chunks. But you changed, Dad. You grew. You were being conformed to the image of Christ, and we knew it. That impacted me greatly. You failed, but you frequently confessed that failure. You would quickly repent of it and ask us for forgiveness, maybe even always. It's difficult to describe the power of a grown man humbling himself to ask forgiveness from his little children. We knew you were not perfect, that you were a sinner. We saw it, but we were relieved by the fact that you acknowledged it to us and you did what was necessary to change. You always told me I could be a much better husband and father than you were. Now with my own wife and children, I understand why you would say that. As a child, you certainly did not have a good example in your father, and I often wondered if that was why you struggled so much with being impatient and angry in the early years. But the change God produced in you through your diligent efforts to put off sin and put on Christ has made me want to excel still more. And I think the ones who will benefit the most are my children and your other grandchildren and maybe their children. You have produced a legacy of godliness that you never knew as a child. Your children have grown to love Christ. Not because you portrayed him with perfection and without sin. But because you were honest about your imperfections and you were honest about your sin and you changed. So I had and still have hope that I can change by the washing of the water of God's word. Christ died for my sins so I hate those sins and I am changing He gave me new life in his resurrection, and so I want to walk in that new life, putting my sin to death. Although I am grateful for you and the way you conducted your life as a husband and father, I am far more grateful for the change in you that I saw because of the example that you gave me and how I should honor my wife and live with her in an understanding way. You honored mom, and we could see it. He tried hard to live with her in an understanding way, and we could see that as well. I now understand why you appeared to be two different men, because I do the same thing. Paul said in Romans 724 24-25, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Dad, I'm choosing to set my mind on the law of God. I thank the Lord for you, Dad. I thank the Lord that you never pretended to be something you were not. And I thank the Lord that we saw you being conformed to the image of Christ. He who began a good work in you is still completing it. And I will forever be changed by that. Love forever, your Son. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the dear men of the Anchor Bible Church, men who I love more than I know how to express. And Father, I include myself when I pray for them that I would increasingly be a man who changes that my testimony to my sons would have a lasting and, and really eternal impact, that they would see my change. That we would reflect on the reality that the work that Christ does in us is initially an incomplete work because we are incomplete in our sanctification. But you, Father, have commanded us to work out our salvation. For it is you who are at work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. Lord, we look to you now, asking that as we sing to you, you would be pleased, you would be honored, and that we would be changed. I pray for the women who regularly and deeply desire to submit to their husbands without a word that you would continually and increasingly create in them a gentle and quiet spirit that they would win their husbands over without a word and for the men that you would continue the work in them myself included that we would live with our wives in an understanding way and that we would honor them as fellow heirs of the grace of life lest our prayers be hindered father we ask all this for your glory Amen.